All right, and welcome to Hattrick Sports Talk. We're recording this at about 9.30 p.m. on Thursday to get you guys set up for Labor Day weekend. I am joined, as always, by Brandon and Shane. Say hi, guys. Hey, hey. Hello. All right, Brandon, I'm going to let you have the floor to open the show as we're going to review uh, the games from today since uh, Clipper, since uh, the Clippers game just finished about an hour ago. But we're going to go back a little bit and do Celtics-Raptors. Uh, Brandon, you have the floor. Well, the Celtics thought they were going to be going into a sweep. But they were wrong as my as my Raptors took the game tonight in, at the last second. They grabbed they grabbed victory from the jaws of defeat with a beautiful three pointer, which I've watched that shot like five, six times, and I still can't believe he got that ball out of his hands so, within so, the within the five the point five seconds. So let's analyze this for a second. So one of the more interesting pieces about the play before we talk about the, the whole series is that taco fall got put in. Yeah. And it was bizarre in the sense that I don't think it really mattered that he was at the inbound where Kyle Lowry was. I don't think it would have made an effect at all if he wasn't on the court. I thought it was a little weird that he was even on the court at that time. But the well, fact that OG yeah. was left open too, I was like, "Oh, he was why, wide open." Why was he left open? What was it? Was it Jalen Brown? I think, was supposed I to be think that was a. I think that was blown coverage. Yeah. Um. Well, if you look, if you look at the if you look at the play, there's a guy in like you have OG, and then you have a guy in between. They got OG at the base at not well not the baseline but at the in on the side and then you got the guy at the top of the key and you have a defender in between OG and the guy at the top of the key playing zone right which is and they, like why and they, are you gonna play zone when you have point five seconds and it's also interesting because the Celtics at points in that game played a one played like a what is it like a one three one zone yeah. for a good portion of the fourth quarter which is a pretty smart way of of playing against Toronto. Mm-hmm. But like, in what way? Why does that zone make sense for? I Boston? think it, so. It makes sense because you're basically you're psychologically right now. Toronto has not been shooting threes well this series, right? So if you call if you play zone, it's basically you're not you're not bringing guys up to to put pressure on them. You're basically saying shoot the ball and then we'll shoot rebound threes. it. Shoot threes because yeah, your percentage is bad. They're saying shoot the three. If you make it great, we'll do something else. If you miss it, guess what? We're just going to you're not going to be able to rebound it because we're already right under the basket. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty smart from Boston in my opinion. Um and bas- but um in this case, you should be right up in the guy's face like yeah, that- you should be asking the person out on a date, basically, like that, <laughs> that close. Like, you should be saying, "Leave room for Jesus at the dance." Like, oh no, I mean, amen. That's I mean, yeah, I mean, okay. like, I mean, Shane, Shane gets the the reference, um, <laughs> but like, I mean, look, you should never, ever leave a guy so open that you can inbound the ball by throwing a the ball football style 
the guy jumps up, lands, and then shoots it as if he's playing pickup basketball at the wreck. That's what I didn't understand why Taco Fall was there. Taco Fall was literally there to either strip the ball, which wasn't going to happen, or to make him call another timeout, which I didn't think they had another timeout, if I remember correctly. Or to get a violation. They're not going to get a violation because Taco Fall is just standing right there. And apparently, I was I saw I listened I heard this on a uh, Scott Van Pelt before we started the show. Um, that play was drawn up not for OG but for um, I think it was for Pascal for Pascal, which right. makes me wonder how much confidence they have in Pascal right now. Which realistically they should have none because he's been shooting like three for. Yeah, he's been pretty bad so far in the series. Um, uh, Shane, I'll go to you with Boston. We talked about this a little bit last night. Uh, you were really impressed with Boston after these two games before tonight. What do you like about Boston in this series? Well, you know, I just I like their ability to, um, you know, offensively. I think they're one of the more impressive teams, uh, you know, especially going up against someone like Toronto who – is I think we would agree probably the best team defense or one of the best teams defensively. I would say the best in the bubble. I think we can yeah surely say that. Not even best in the bubble, but I'd say all year they were the – I mean, they showed they were the best in the regular season as well. But continue, yeah. Shane. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, And, you know, just Boston's ability. I mean, they have – I mean, Tatum, uh, Kemba Walker – Kemba was great today, by the way. Great guard play by both teams. Really good. Yeah, Kemba was definitely their strongest piece. Um, and, you know, you got Brown, Smart. I mean, all these guys who are really good scorers, and they consistently score a lot of points every day. Um, and, you know, I think it's – I think this is a great series here because – in my opinion, Boston is the best offensive team and Toronto is the best defensive team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, you know, I think if Toronto wants to win this series, I think they really need uh, Siakam to step up or the offensively, that is. Because, yeah, you know, Lowry and Van Vliet have, you know, they're doing okay, but, I mean, you know, they, they can't. They can't do it all by themselves when you got guys like Tatum, Walker, Smart, you know, Brown that are scoring on the other side for Boston, you know what I mean? I mean that's that's a lot of you know, a lot of firework power yeah. from those guys. So No, I a hundred percent agree with you. Um I I don't know what's going on with Siakam. I mean, he was pretty he played pretty well against Brooklyn. Um I mean it's it's also interesting to me about Boston that I read an article that said uh, they get rid of Kyrie Irving and they're all of a sudden like I mean they they brought on some new players as well but like it's as if they fixed the toxicity in their clubhouse right um, and, and this is the main thing with Kemba Kemba just fits with Brad Stevens likes to do not only offensively but defensively when Kemba's healthy and Kemba's clearly healthy. So yeah. it, it helps and, them tremendously. Yeah. And it's, I hate to admit it, but this series is the first time this whole year that I'm actually saying that Toronto is worse off without Kawhi. 
Um, I, I think it's the first time this whole season that I've 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 visibly seen Toronto taking a step down from their ability. Like, mm-hmm. if we had Kawhi, I believe we're yeah we're not smacking Boston, but we're winning in seven or six or six. Well, we might six. we could possibly still win in seven. Um, it'll be really 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 hard. Um, but it's it's definitely showing. Now, no. now, final question for you, Brandon. Before before we finish this uh, series for tonight, I I feel like in game one and game two, the defense for Toronto wasn't that terrible. Yeah, I didn't think it was that bad. It's just Boston like made so many great shots in both of those games. See, Toronto yeah. Toronto is still good defensively, even yeah. in a blowout. They're good. They're good defensively. And here's why I'm I'm still confident that like Toronto can get it done. No team is gonna shoot like they did in the first two games every single night. No. Like Boston fucking murdered Toronto the first game because they hit everything. Yeah, and that was the same in the game yeah, in before the bubble right. in the restart. It was the same and if thing. You notice their shooting percentages have gone down from game one to two. And then and c- two consequently three. in three, yes. And so, like, I'm part of it, I feel like, is if Toronto can maybe ride that, like, hot streak a little bit, maybe it'll be balanced out, and I think it'll be a fight to finish. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping Toronto can get their shooting back, because if Toronto can pick up their – can get back to their old ways of shooting threes and playing great defense, going to be a hard team. This series is going to be closer than I thought. I think this game kind of opened my eyes to the, to the idea that this goes six or seven. I still it's think Boston team. wins. I still think uh, Boston wins, yeah. but, I, but man, I think this is going to be a great series. I think this is going to go pretty long and it's going to be fun. And I also love it because it creates like a fun – I think this series creates like a fun rivalry, you know? Yeah. Like, Boston, Toronto. I think these are two teams that are going to fight each other for dominance for for the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, yep. It'll be fun. Um, let's go to, to Milwaukee and Miami. Um, let's – I mean, the, the constant conversation with, with this game, of course, it goes to the game uh, yesterday um, with the fact of the referees. Now, obviously – I don't really know. I, I feel like the Goran Dragic play wasn't a foul. I feel like the Giannis play after was a foul. But it was kind of it was kind of like apropos a little bit is the way I put it. Like it was kind of like it made sense how the game ended because one of my first thoughts throughout the whole game was Miami could have won this game by twenty if they didn't foul Milwaukee as much as they did. So it almost made sense that the game ended in a foul, but what were your guys' thoughts on the final two plays and the refereeing of, of those two? Shane, I'll start with you on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i with you there in terms of, you know, all the fouling that happened because, I mean, they, you know, just between Giannis and Middleton, they had, I think, 25 free throw attempts, which – you can't do that. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, you know, for guys like them, that's just, I mean, that, those are, that's just free points for them, you know. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I respect him for 
playing hard and just being aggressive and quick and trying to make plays, but you know, there's a, a bit of a cost, if you will. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that Miami has come out and taken this, <clears throat> this early lead. Um, although I kind of understand why now as I watch the series, because I realize that Miami is a much more complete team, whereas Milwaukee seems a bit reliant on, you know, Giannis and Middleton. And I think that that is really shown because if you look at Miami, they don't have anybody that in this series so far has really like stood out, just been amazing. But everyone is just kind of like, especially their starters, and even guys in their bench um, have, you know, they've all just been, you know, kind of spreading uh, spreading the wealth, if you will, you know, mm-hmm. all doing their part for the most for the most part, at least. And um, yeah, I think that's the difference in terms of the fouls. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm even a bit iffy on that Giannis one. Like, I don't. I don't totally like the first time I saw that. I was like, "What is that really a foul?" And I I don't know. It's still that ending was just weird. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, this is one of the more fun things about Miami to me. And uh, to piggyback off your point, Shane, Miami to me does not feel necessarily like it's all about Jimmy Butler or all about Bam. There's guys like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero that can hit threes. Sometimes I, I when I watch Miami play, sometimes I complain about like, man, if they if they just do like Golden State or Houston level threes, but they don't have to necessarily because one of the more interesting things, especially Game One in particular. It wasn't like they were shooting threes the whole game, but in the fourth quarter, they made threes when it mattered. And again, in terms of the fouls, I'm just not sure. I feel like the Goran one is really bizarre, but I get the argument that he leaned in. I originally thought that the Giannis foul was actually the correct call. That's still something you could debate. Both of them are, are very debatable. So I guess it's just kind of the live in the moment kind of thing with the officials. Like, I don't think I can blame the officials entirely. Brandon, what are your thoughts on the series as a whole and the two fouls to end the game yesterday? Um, I think the official, first of all, I think the officials yesterday on both games that went down yesterday were out of their damn minds. <laughs> um, I think it was just a bad day for officiating. Um, However, I believe that Milwaukee that I'm, I'm glad that Milwaukee ended up losing because I think at one point it kind of felt like they were trying as I said yes last night it felt like the it was like the NBA trying to be like, "Oh, we must have Giannis like look good. Like we can't have him go down 2-0 in the playoffs to Miami." So it's like get your greedy mitts out of the games NBA um and yeah I know that might sound like conspiracy theory but like very often it feels like the NBA would be the most conspiracy theory esque of the leagues um 
So, in, in I, I personally think Miami's gonna sweep it, but I I see it. I I right now I see Miami in six right now, at this really? point. Yeah. Um, five or six. N- now moving to the Giannis conversation with this series because I think this is really important. Giannis is a free agent in two years. We got to have the honest conversation about Giannis. Here's the deal. I don't think he stays in Milwaukee. Nah. And I personally feel that, like, um, if you asked me two years ago, is he going to stay? I said yes. This team is built perfectly for Giannis in a lot of ways. Eric Bledsoe fits him. The Lopez brothers fits him well. Um, Chris Middleton, I think at times fits him well, but this team as a whole, isn't necessarily the best playoff team for Giannis. Yeah. I also feel like Giannis needs to go somewhere where he doesn't have to be the leader. Like he doesn't have to be the guy to provide all the points, you know? Yeah. Like if he was on a team where someone else, where there was like one, like maybe even one person, or two people at the uh, who could provide points, and he comes in and like could drop like twenty, thirty points a game, you know, and be like da da, and everyone's like, "Yay, Giannis!" Um, whereas, like, when you're Giannis in Milwaukee, and you're looked at as, when you're the like the star, and you're the the guy that's supposed to be building around, I I just don't see him. As a, as a build-around guy, you know? So here are the three teams that we've continuously talked about. And here's, here's what I think happens. I think Giannis goes to the Warriors. Now I know that world seems horrible, but that to me seems to make the most sense. So who's your two other teams? Well, the two other teams seem pretty clear at this point. It seems to be Miami, which okay. have very clearly put themselves in a front running. Now, we wonder what happens with Bam. Does Bam stay after in a couple of years? And then, as we heard today, Toronto is also a front runner. I think Toronto is very interesting. So, I'll put this out there. Consider this. Toronto has kind of proven themselves to be the land where big men can go and reestablish themselves as successful. Not that Giannis necessarily needs to reestablish himself. But, But like, if Giannis wanted to go to a team where he would, like, have guys to play with him, where he wouldn't have to be the front guy, he wouldn't have to be the guy who scores all the points, he could use it. He could be, and he could be slotted in instantly, and have a have a, a a big like like change the tide for the team. I mean, you put Giannis on that team in two years from now, or I mean, maybe knows, next year, or maybe, next year. Here's maybe my they, question: Maybe, maybe they make they a lose. trade for him. Maybe they lose this year in this series, and Giannis says, "I'm out." Yeah, maybe. I mean, I mean, look, if Giannis, I mean, I'm gonna be honest here. As as a Raptors fan, the idea of Giannis on the team that we have now, but like minus a couple players next year, maybe. I think that team is. That team can win a title. They get better because our our big problem right now is down low. Yeah, I mean we have big men 
who are at the end of their career. I mean, you swap out Giannis for you, – you take away, like, uh, what, uh, Gasol and you put Giannis in that position, boom, instantly yeah. better. Shane, make a case for what team you think uh, fits Giannis the best if you were to move. Ooh, I would say – I'd say Miami is most likely for him. Uh, why do you think Miami is a good fit? Because, you know, it's kind of like Brennan was saying – he should go somewhere where he isn't expected to be like the leader necessarily. And, you know, with Golden State, I mean, you know, you could make the argument that that wouldn't be the case. However, I don't know because, you know, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, they're, you know, who knows how much longer they're going to. And who knows how healthy they're even going to be too. Right. So, I mean, it's very possible that he will be the guy. Um, whereas, I mean, you know, it doesn't seem like Bam is going to stay in Miami. And, I mean, you know, they've got Butler as like their, you know, he's kind of like the face of that franchise, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, they're going to need a power forward. And, you know, I mean, it's Miami is, uh, you know, it's a big market city um, just because of, you know, what happens there. I mean, it's Miami. Right. Um, so that would be my guess. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I could see Toronto as well. I think, I'll be honest, I think, I feel like Golden State is the least likely of the three. Same. But I could be wrong. I have been before. I also just don't feel like he's a. He, I don't feel like he's a like a. A big splashy like big spotlight team like guy. You know, mm-hmm. like he's he would be going from Milwaukee. And I just don't feel like he would like. Some people might say, "Oh, he might he might try and go to the, he might he might try and go to the net the Mets or he might try and." Whatever. Here's here's another team I want to point out too. Here's a dark horse. Now, cap situation is probably a bit rough for this team, but I could see it potentially happening if things go the right way. Dallas. Dude, they have so many. Why would Dallas need another big man? Dallas to me makes sense. Now, why does would that, Dallas does want that, another big man? Now, hang on, hang on. Now, does this mean that they trade Kristaps in a deal yes. to get Giannis? May most likely. So yes. So do you think they would swap? Do you think they would send Kristaps and like maybe another player for him? I think him? there's a potential that that happens because I think that I think that Giannis and Luca make a mm. lot more sense than Kristaps and Luca. I could see that, but like, I think it would be a tough sell though because I think be the a... salary cap is really rough for that team at this point. Yeah, and also like. About Golden State, like, don't they have a pretty rough salary cap thing? Yeah. They still have a little bit of flexibility. Andrew Wiggins um, is the main guy that they would be trading, which would offset. Also, the, what the hell are you going to get for Andrew Wiggins, though? 
they would they want they want to make an Andrew Wiggins for Giannis deal at this point. <laughs> That's not gonna happen. With maybe a few picks in there. I mean, or something. Uh, Golden. <sighs> Look, feasibly, if, feasibly, if 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 Giannis were to ask for a trade in the offseason, feasibly they would trade Wiggins, the number two pick, and some other assets. I mean, look, if that's like a trade you make in NBA 2K. If how ma- how many like- how many trades happen in the offseason but the guy wants to leave that feel like NBA 2K? I mean, plenty, like, but like that's. But I feel like Wiggins for Giannis is like not even NBA Two K. It's like I don't even know what it is. NBA like, Live. Yeah, that's like community college nonsense. There's a lot of weird trades, especially when a guy wants. To leave. Yeah, that's true. Uh, let's actually move into the game we just saw. Um, LA and Denver. Denver didn't shoot the ball well in this game at all. It wasn't very competitive. Shane, do you expect this series to be competitive or no? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> After what we just saw. I mean, I'll be honest. I was surprised Denver won the last series at all. <laughs> they were down 3-1 also. Yeah, so. exactly. Um, but, yeah, no. I, I don't expect them to be that competitive, I'll be honest. Um, I mean, maybe I'm wrong and they're going to be amazing, but uh, I don't know. They were just, they looked very sloppy tonight. I mean, they shot, I think, 25% of free throws, which is bad. Um, and, I mean, they just, you know, you get, you got Kawhi. Paul George, Morris, you know, you let all these guys run all over you. I mean, what do you think is going to happen, you know? So. And they had Pat Bev back too, and that helped them tremendously, I think. True. Yeah, I mean, he didn't have, he didn't have an amazing game, but I mean, it's, you know, because he he only played like, what, 10, 15 minutes? Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, th- I think we're seeing that, you know, this Clipper team, when it's healthy and they're all together, I mean, they, you know, they're not someone you mess around with. <laughs> Here's my view on Denver. They're still weird. They, they still make no sense because yeah, – I don't understand what to make of them. I never have, and I still don't. Here's, here's my thing. The entire last series, other than, you know, our, let's say after they were down 3-1, they said, okay, no more Jokic. Here's Jamal Murray just going off. Give him the ball. Okay, but can Jokic be a bit more of a second fiddle to that? And yeah. our, 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 I can't believe we even had this conversation. Donovan Mitchell versus Jamal Murray, who would you have for the next five years? <laughs> just because of those three games. This was the regular Jamal Murray that we saw tonight, unfortunately. Can I, I don't see him consistently putting up 25, 30 points a game in this series. I just don't. And Jokic, I don't think, is capable by himself to win a series. And I don't think that – And I don't think that coaching staff 
can just switch guys on and off, switch them to switch those two on and off and expect them to be amazing. Right? Like that doesn't work. There's a reason why with the Lakers you have AD and LeBron both scoring 35 a night pretty much. That doesn't happen in Denver. Brandon, what are your thoughts on Denver at this point? Yeah, I'm a I'm a um I'm going to go with Shane on this one. Um, as he said, don't get him. Never have. Never will, probably. Um, they, I mean, no offense to the Jazz, but, like, the Nets could have beat the Jazz. <laughs> um no, I think I think uh, I think Donovan Mitchell is too much for them. But like, you get what I'm trying to say here. Like, that's not exactly that wasn't exactly like a oh boy, we beat them. Now we can move on to the Clippers and we have a chance. Like, no, this this was it was just a shooting duel. That was like, it. It was a who can shoot better, you know? Yeah. Um. Also, I will say this. To give you to give them a little bit of a you know uh, some benefit of the doubt, the Clippers did have a couple days off, so they were the the, the more fresh team. Fresh team. Um, I really doubt that's actually gonna gonna matter the next time they play, but we'll see. Yep. For game one, though, it definitely has an effect. Oh, definitely. Also, game ones are weird because you don't you you're going off of a you're like, uh, and it kind of also affect majorly affects this game one because you have you have Denver who just finished playing Utah, and the quick turnaround they, too. They then have to go right into another series, so they're coming off of playing a different team, and they have to figure out a new strategy who they're playing, yada, yada, yada. Whereas the Clippers were just sitting there probably like for a couple days watching footage, figuring it out, you know. Here's one of the more unique things of this bubble. And it's a little bit crazy because it's kind of like, it's kind of like NFL red zone in a way. And I always kind of equate it to that where it feels like it's just quick turnaround after quick turnaround after quick turnaround. Not only with games, but with teams as well, where they're trying to finish this as quickly as possible at this point. Yeah. Because the players don't want to be in the bubble for that long. I mean, we're probably at this point, we're going to be in the bubble till October. The reality of the matter is they're trying to finish the series as quickly as they can. So what does that mean? Teams like Denver who win a seven game series have to immediately in two days, go back and play the Clippers. That doesn't happen in series. Well, I mean, look, at it doesn't Lakers. work like that. Look at the Lakers in Houston. They're they haven't played a game yet. And you have, Boston and Toronto at 2-1. Miami and, and Milwaukee at 2-0. LA, Denver's 1-0. I mean, the, I, the, at this pace, the Western Conference is going to be in a major disadvantage come the playoff, come the finals, because they're the going to be behind schedule. Western will be behind schedule. And the team from the East will have been probably sitting there for a good, like, three days. Yeah, and that's one of the weird parts of the bubble. Let's go to Houston and OKC in this game seven and also kind of take a look at the Lakers and Houston matchup. Uh, Brandon, I'll start with you. 
are you worried about Houston and their shooting spells in that OKC series throughout that whole entire series? And what were your thoughts on game seven just as a whole? Uh, it was weird. I felt it, it just, uh, it's weird to me. Cause like that whole series was, was a little weird. Cause like Houston, Houston started off the first two games. They took, they took a two Oh lead and, it felt like they had a pretty dominant hold on it. I thought they were going to sweep. And then, okay, so he's like, mm, not so fast. And then they get to game seven, and it's like, um, it just, it, it felt like Houston's supposed firepower that they've had all year just wasn't there. Um, and so, I just feel, it's weird, because, like, I actually feel like I could make the argument that both LA and the Clippers had a harder time with their with their first series opponents than with than they'll have with their second series opponents. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's pretty weird. Shane, how do you feel about Houston now? Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean. You know, it was weird because they, you know, like Brennan said, they were, they were so hot, like in, you know, the eight games or whatever it was before uh, the playoffs started, and so it's like, oh yeah, they're, you know, they're shooting really well, and, and yeah, but I mean, you know, we all, myself included, got very high on them without even thinking about the fact that well. Defensively, they're not that great, or they have. They were better, but not amazing. Yeah, um, and you know, I mean, offensively, they're inconsistent, <laughs> um, to say the least. I mean, you know, you get guys like Harden, who you think is going to get you know thirty points a night, and then here he is in that game seven, getting what eighteen or something. And it's just, you know, it's kind of like, well, we, I mean, the weird thing is, like, I feel like they're a lot like the Lakers um, in that they have, you know, guys who are big scorers, but not much defense. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think this series will be just kind of a, a shootout in a way um and you know is it the is it like the the trio of houston that wins out or the duo of la you know right um, so so here's my thing on houston yeah and this might be a scheduling quirk i think in some ways it is but how many times before the hiatus was i like it feels like they're hot one week and the next they look horrible. Right. And then they're hot the next and the next week they look horrible. It doesn't feel like that now. It feels like it's a little bit more game to game and that might be, you know, the scheduling aspect of the bubble. Yeah. But Houston to me is weird because I I look back to like like let's I think like game 6, game 5, game 6 or whatever. And I'm like, they're just driving to the rim. They're not 
pushing the three ball. And it's not just Westbrook, because Westbrook, his game is driving to the rim. That's why they got rid of Clint Capella. But even at times, Harden does that. It's like Harden doesn't need to do that. He can play iso ball even on Dort, which Dort played pretty good defense, but let's, let's be honest. Dort wasn't going to handle Harden, right? And that was kind of the main thing for me. It's like, okay, guys, let's just continue shooting threes. Who cares if we get cold? And, so, and there were games in this series where they were just going, just continuing to go to the rim. I'm like, why? And then Harden is only, he only made one three-point shot in game seven. Yeah. He mostly drive, he mostly went to the rim. Yeah. And, and look, and then I think the biggest thing with OKC was Dort. You know, OKC probably should have won game seven just off Dort's production alone. I mean, he got 30 points. Yeah. But the entire thing was he was going to get 30 points at some point, even though he's not the best shooter. Because realistically speaking, they left him open every time down the court. Because all he is is just a defender. He's pretty one-dimensional in that way. But he was a much more of an impact player than I think we all expected. Especially when it didn't feel like SGA was all the way there. Adams really didn't have a role in this series. Chris Paul kind of did it all for the guards. And Troder had a few games there as well. But OKC as a whole this year was impressive. I just, yeah, it just wasn't enough at the end of the day. Chris Paul can't do everything for that team. Yeah, I think, you know, give them a few years just to, mm-hmm. you know, let their young talent. Because, I mean, it is a very young team. Do you think they keep Chris Paul in the offseason, or do you think they let him go, especially with the contract? I mean, I think they should keep him around, you know, just to have a, a veteran guy. I feel the same way. Who can kind of mentor these guys to – because I think, you know, in a year or two, I think this team could be dangerous um, just with the way that – yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, I think they just need time to develop because they are, you know, they are young, mm-hmm. um, but we'll see. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think they could end up, I mean, if Chris Paul does leave, they could be kind of like a Toronto type team, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like they lose their star, but then they have their core still. They wouldn't be as good, obviously, um, because, I mean, they weren't this year as Toronto was last year, but you get my point. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, last on the playoff games for you, I'll ask you the same question. If you're OKC, do you keep Chris Paul around for 2021? Um, well, the question is, is Chris Paul going to want to stay around? Because, like, I feel like Chris Paul has kind of done the thing where he goes to a different team every year for the last couple of years. Um, right. I mean, yeah, I think they could benefit from having a a veteran presence. But you also have to ask yourself, how many more years does he have in him? Yeah. I mean, do you just play out the two years of the contract, pay him the 40 mil? And then retire. Yeah. Uh, let's go to one of the more interesting stories of the day to finish off the NBA. 
the Brooklyn Nets hired Steve Nash as their head coach. Now, their interim coach, Jock Vaughn, who did a pretty good job, all things considered, uh, will be Nash's assistant. Uh, Shane, I'll start with you. Reaction to the Steve Nash hire? Uh, well, I mean, you know, I think this is uh, interesting, uh, for sure. Um, I, I mean, I certainly wasn't expecting it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't have – I, mean, I don't have too many thoughts on it yet because it's not, you know, he's never coached. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, who knows? Uh, he was, I mean, he's obviously an incredible player. Uh, he, was, he, was he a three-time MVP? Or yeah, well, well, one or two times, but yeah. Two, or, or, yeah, whatever. Anyways, um, you know, just, uh, I mean, really excellent player who, obviously made quite an impact on a few franchises mm-hmm. and um yeah i mean i you know i think he could definitely be a good coach i mean you know, like i said he, he's never been a coach so i don't know uh <laughs> we'll have to see but um you know I, i'm looking forward to it i mean mm-hmm. to me the problem in brooklyn isn't necessarily uh, you know a coaching thing that's more just kind of you know, having Kyrie around and then Kevin Durant, who seems like he doesn't really want to be there. <laughs> um, and all this, you know, you know that yeah. whole thing. But. So here are two things before I go to Brandon. And uh, I think Brandon will provide a unique perspective on this. Two things with Steve Nash. One, he clearly, you know, when you hear interviews with him, like with Bill Simmons, we did an interview with him last year, right, or whatever, and, and he is a really interesting basketball mind to listen to. Yeah. He has a really interesting perspective, not only in, not only in basketball, but also in soccer as well. Uh, of course, with the TNT hiring him for <laughs> Champions League covers last few years, which was an interesting hire to say the least, let's be honest. But uh, I digress with that. He's a really interesting basketball mind. But he's also done an incredible job as an advisory role for the Canadian national team. But that's different than this to me because you're developing guys like Andrew Wiggins, RJ Barrett, who he absolutely loves developing young players, the Canadian national team. And I'm sure Brandon can attest to this is about young talent and building them up. Right. But this isn't that job. This is a job where you have not one, not two, but three established guys, all who are best buds and Kyrie, uh, KD and, uh, and DeAndre Jordan and not that much cap flexibility. Now where they were a year ago with D'Angelo Russell is much better than where they were now because there was optimism with that franchise. And now there isn't the, you know, Kyrie's made comments of, Oh, we need a third star. We need this. We need that. And I'm like, bro, you have guys like Karis Levert there. You have guys like Jared Allen, you have young talent. And I don't know what they're going to do with the Joe Harris contract. But it's not like that team doesn't have talent. It's not like Kyrie and KD can come in there next year with Steve Nash and win a title or at least compete for one, especially in the East. But, Brandon, what are your perspective on Steve Nash? I'm sure you you followed the Canadian national team somewhat, so you might bring some perspective to that. Uh, But tell me what you think about Nash here. 
I actually think Steve Nash is a great hire, um, and here's why. So here's a little story that not a lot of people know about Steve Nash. So my brother went to – when I, I lived in, in Victoria, Canada for four years, uh, mm-hmm. up, which is also where Steve Nash is from. My brother went to the same high, uh, middle school as Steve Nash that Steve Nash went to. And he played basketball there, just like Steve Nash did. Mm-hmm. And his coach was Steve Nash's coach. Steve Nash won the provincial championships three times during his time at St. Michael's Prep in Victoria. Shout out. This tell this story will tell you a little bit about about Steve Nash and the type of person he will be as a coach. Every so they win, they they celebrate yada yada yada. The very next day, this coach comes in, and this is a they win on a Friday. The very next day on a Saturday, the coach comes into the into the uh, gym and finds Steve Nash in the in the gym. Shooting hoops, throwing a tennis ball against the wall, doing just practicing. And the when asked why he was there, he said, "He's when when his coach said you should be, we just won, you should be resting, taking time off, celebrating." He goes, "It's great to celebrate, but to be the best, you have to put in the effort." Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that that's a good story to kind of give an idea about what type of coach Steve Nash is going to be is that Steve Nash, as a player, always tried to go a little bit above and beyond Mm -hmm. and be, like, that little bit better. And you look at the type of players, the stars he has on his team, they're the guys who, like, the KDs, the Kyries, they're – they're try- they are the guys who push themselves that little bit like harder, that little bit more, that little bit extra. So and the the story the stories that have come out have said that today that apparently they were pushing for Steve Nash um from within the organization. Like these guys these stars were like, Hey, like you should bring this guy. So um but yeah, it is a lot hard. I, I do think it's gonna, it's not gonna be seamless because I mean, we've seen so many coaches who have never coached in the NBA come in and really stink it up. But um, I think he'll be at least decent. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 still really interested in what this hire is going to bring because it, it was weird how it wasn't leaked Yeah. ever. It was weird that Sean Marks didn't leak it in any perspective. And then on top of that, to see guys like Tyron Lue or they were interested in, I thought Greg Popovich, I thought that trade was maybe there as well. So it's, it's interesting. We'll see where it goes. Um, but yeah, I think you look at his perspective and also let's not, not forget those Phoenix Sun, Suns years with Mike D'Antoni. Now, is that team built to is this team built to shoot threes like that team? Probably not. But at least that he has that perspective on how the league is actually built today. 
as well. Let's move on to the NFL a little bit. Uh, Leonard Fournette, one-year, $2 million contract with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, I need to have the floor with this because I really had a mixed bag of emotions with this in some ways. Or a mixed bag of opinions, I should say. For one, the idea that Doug Marone comes out and says, we couldn't get a sixth-round pick for him, I think is remarkably, remarkably weird. And doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Not even a fifth or a sixth. I'm telling you, any team who has a first-round rookie still on his rookie contract for one more year, there are many teams who can't afford that. And for a guy like Leonard Fournette, which, yes, he is a locker room problem, and that's part of why he was released and all that. Doesn't matter what team you are. A sixth-round pick for Leonard Fournette's a no-brainer. So I don't understand where that comment's coming from. I don't think that's accurate whatsoever. Two, I think that this Bucks thing is perfect. Now, he's not going to get many snaps early on. It'll probably take a few weeks. But he's perfect for what this Brady, Bruce Arians offense is looking for long-term at the running back position, at least for this year. And three with the Jags, this is, this is a weird situation because this isn't Miami. Last year, we talked about Miami being a tank job, right? This is not Miami at all. Because Miami actually played well last year with Brian Flores, and they built a culture. Doug Marone, throughout his time there, hasn't really built a culture. And he's not going to build one by letting go of these guys. I don't understand why Doug Marone is still there, and I think this is a dumpster fire. I don't think there's any semblance that this team can actually win. I mean, they might win three or four games, they might win three or four games by the game just not looking pretty at all, unlike Miami last year, especially Week 17 against New England. Shane, I'll start with you. What do you think about those three points for the Fournette and the Jags here? Um, I agree. It's strange that they only that they the comment about you know, getting a six-round draft pick for him. Um, I mean, there's probably some truth to it. It's probably a bit exaggerated um, because, I mean, he is – I mean, it's Fournette. He's, he's a pretty good player. Um, but, I mean, he is – like you said, he is a locker room problem, which – in a sport like football, especially in a league like the NFL, people really don't want that in their locker room. And I it's mean, been very at, clear this offseason as well. Yeah, I mean, look at, you know, Antonio Brown. He is, you know, world-class receiver, yet he has some baggage, and so no one wants him. Um, or maybe somebody does, but they're just not acting on it. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, I don't know. It's um, it's weird. I mean, you'd imagine somebody would get 
you know a better trade value than that out of him. But yeah, who knows? Like you they said, got no trade value at all. That's my yeah. problem. R- right. I mean, like you said, that could be not even true. Whatever. Um, your second point about him in Tampa. Um, I agree. I really like that for them. You know that that to me that was kind of. You know they're. I mean, their offensive line isn't amazing, but, you know, they're going to be doing a lot of, you know, it's Brady. They're probably not going to be doing a ton of deep passes. They're just, you know, quick throws, whatever. I'm sure, I'm sure that'll be fine. But the one thing that I was a bit worried about was running back because, I mean, they don't really have that one guy who's just like consistent and reliable. And, um, you know, I think now with Fournette, they have, even though they're not going to play him a ton right away, they they have options. You know what I mean? They they can go with. Uh, it's a deep own. running back room. They you know right. they have Ronald Jones. They picked up Lashawn McCoy. It's really deep. Yeah, they. I mean, they they have a lot of you know decent guys. Um, and uh, what was it, what was the third point you made? The third point is this is not Miami. This is the, this is the worst way to do a tank job. Miami actually built a culture, and Jacksonville doesn't have one. Yeah. Um, and what culture would that be? Miami, right now, has a culture. Miami, a right culture now, culture of losing. No, Miami is Detroit in year two. Detroit, Detroit with, also Detroit, has a culture. Detroit, hang, hang on, hang on. Matt Patricia in year two is what the Dolphins are in year two. So losing. The right coach. They're still going to lose a bunch of games. But The right coach. Yes, I think Matt Patricia is the right coach. I think Brian Flores is the right coach. I think they realize they're not talented, but they still play at a high level. And they're still going to play at a high level. But Jacksonville doesn't have that. So I'll say this about about um, well, Jacksonville just hasn't really tried to do anything. They've just—I feel like Jacksonville just thinks that if they if they bring a bunch of guys together who are talented, they'll somehow score themselves wins. They did it one year. Well, yeah, but that was one year. That was. That was kind of luck. Well, that's, you know, there's something to be said with the fact that they have, I think, 12 draft picks for 2021, which, yeah, I mean, I, they're definitely thinking of getting Lawrence, tanking and getting Lawrence. Yeah. I mean, I mean come on. <laughs> How plausible is that, though? Because we even said the tanking for two a thing. Taking doesn't really exist in the NFL, no matter how bad your team is. Uh, yeah, it does. You, you still get you still get fluke wins. Miami didn't have the number one pick last year, and they were the worst oh, team. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know, but again, this is Jacksonville, and again, as I said, they don't really have a culture. To finish off Jacksonville, as well, Yannick and Gawkway going to Minnesota. What is his impact for Minnesota, Brandon? I'll start with you. Uh. I think it adds – well, I mean, obviously it adds another piece to that already pretty good 
um, defense. I think. I think honestly, it might it might be enough to put to put them at the top of their division, but we'll see. Shane, do you feel the same way? Yeah, I mean, to me, just kind of you know filled the void of losing uh, Griffin. So yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, let's go to another uh, popular defensive lineman who is still up in the market for some reason, and it's September third, in Jadavion Clowney. The Jags are interested. The Saints are interested, and they're actually trying to go all out to get him. Apparently, uh, there's and- rumors that he might that. I mean, there was there's like signs today that he might he might still be interested in, in Seattle, but I don't know if Seattle's interested in Seattle's him. Seattle's not interested in him at all right now. No, he, they're not. And the Titans are interested in him. The reports I've been hearing as of like last night are Seattle and Tennessee. Yeah, as the top two landing spots. And I'm like, I've been hearing that like. I, literally, what I've been hearing is Seattle and Tennessee's top two landing spots, and that like New Orleans is basically pestering him. They've been told to just pester him about coming there, and like it's a one-way street, basically. Like he doesn't have any interest. Is there any reason to get Clowney for any of these teams? No, I mean I well Seattle, yes, I would argue because if. I would say this. If Seattle gets Clowney, we have a solid ass chance of of the play of the Super Bowl, in my opinion. Because that's like one more defensive player to like. Doesn't so Seattle team. already have a Super well, yes, Bowl team they, right now? I mean, yeah, they do, but it just makes it like even easier. Um Do we need Clowney? No. Do we if if Clowney shows up and he's like, hey, I'll take your offer. I mean, I think out of all those teams, the team that are, that he would that he should go to would be Tennessee. Why do you feel that's the case? Because Tennessee needs him. So you feel like Tennessee's the one team that makes the most sense? As... I mean, they've they've gotten weak at the secondary, right? I mean, or at, at, at the, right at, or. Or the D-line position, yeah. you know, middle, whatever. Yeah. Shane, do you think Tennessee makes the most sense at this point? Yeah. I mean, the thing about Seattle is, like, he – they can't they can't keep him long-term. They just can't. He's too much money. Yeah. yeah. And he's – I think he's – I think he thinks he's worth way more than he really is. Um, because, I mean, just looking at the way that he's played the last couple of years, considering how injury-prone he is, I mean, I'd give him, like, $10 million per year at the most. I feel like he's going to get 15 I think he's going to get one year 15 Yeah, probably. Well, but, also, you have to think about the fact that with, with Seattle, we have um, – oh, why am I blaming on his name? Um guy we got from the Jets. Um, well, yeah, you got Jamal Adams, which basically yeah. – With Jamal took, well, Adams is, uh, in my opinion, uh, he's a guy that the Hawks are definitely going to lock down to a multi-year contract. Right, and he, it's great because he's on he's going to be on the fifth-year option for the next you know yeah. year or two. Like, and, yeah. I just feel like 
they're not gonna they're not gonna pick up Cl- Clowney because they need that money for the for Jamal. But I, I, I don't see and this is one of the biggest things, I don't see Clowney being a long term fit on any of these teams. Yeah. I think it's just a one year thing. Mm-hmm. I mean at this point with how long he's been holding out, you know. Yeah. Um, the Patriots have named Cam Newton their starting quarterback. Uh, Bill Belichick is apparently falling in love with Cam Newton <laughs> from all reports. Um, Shane, what are your thoughts on, on Cam in New England now that he's finally named the starter? I mean, it must be working. If you, I mean, when do you ever hear Belichick say positive things about people? You know, he's, um, I mean, the happiest I've ever seen the guy is when he's feeding his husky during the draft, you know. <laughs> Um, so funny. Which I mean, you can't blame. It's you know, dog, but um, no, he wasn't I, feeding the husky. He turned into the husky. Oh, it was the husky made the pick? Yeah. Um, but no. Anyways, I mean, you know, I <laughs> I saw the the you know at first when the Cam Newton trade happened I, or signing happened, I was like. I was like, what, Cam? Really? That's I don't see that working at all. Okay, whatever. Maybe he sees something I don't. Well, he must because, um, you know, for him to ditch the guy who's been in his system for two years, I think it has still been there two years. I think yeah, it's been two years. Yes. Anyways, um, who knows that offense really well, and he knows really well, and he's like, nope, we're gonna go with this brand new guy who's been injured. Eh. Um, yeah, there you go. Um, Shoulder, right? So He must, I don't know, he must, uh, he must work really well there. I, I still don't, I still don't see how, because, I mean, he's like Tom Brady's polar opposite in literally yeah. every way. Tom is mature, Cam is not. Um, Tom is accurate, Cam is not. Yeah, I'm just going to say this, uh, when I look, I look forward to the to-, to the time when they start when they start losing, and you have you have baby Cam trying to deal with New England media, New England media, and edge lord coach, because like. Oh my god, it's gonna be brutal. Also, if we want to talk about players who are probably gonna get hurt again, I mean, I I feel like Cam's gonna get hurt with that terrible line he has. Hmm. Is Cam gonna actually run the ball this year? Uh, I mean, is Cam actually gonna get like a good portion of rushing? They'd be dumb if they didn't. I think he turns into a pocket passer in this system. I don't think he runs the ball gonna, at all. That he's going to be crap. I don't think. I don't think Bill's running, making his him run arm, at all. Dude, his arm is not. No, I don't think his arm's good at all. But I, I don't. Be, yeah. I don't see how he runs the ball. I. I don't. I. I. His frame and him running the ball. At his frame is the reason why he's gotten all these injuries. Bill's going to protect him somehow, some way. And that's going to be making him into a pocket passer. And maybe Bill's working on it, working on it with him in camp, and that's why he's loving what he's doing. Maybe that's the case. All I can go off of is that 
Bill has given him five-star Yelp reviews, and I don't know if Brady's ever gotten that. Five-star Yelp reviews? <laughs> so, By the that's way, where... The Subway commercial was hilarious. Oh, yeah, the Subway commercial, if you guys haven't seen that, they just released... Subway just released their, like, football catalog of commercials. There's, like, two commercials with Bill Belichick. Yeah, and those, like, the main great. two commercials. That pretty funny. Really smart. Just um, cuts the guy's tie off. Uh, so go definitely go check that out. And then uh, Dwayne Haskins is named the starter. Uh, Brandon, I'll start with you here. Uh, Dwayne Haskins as the Washington football team starter. This isn't necessarily a surprise, but are you worried about how Rivera is going to work with Haskins? Um. I just I don't know. You're not positive at all with this team. Like here's you? the th- here's the thing. Who who the hell else was he gonna have start? Alex Smith or Kyle he Allen. He wasn't about to start Alex Smith and he wasn't about to start Kyle Allen. You know? I would have like, started them before Haskins. Yeah. Well You would have started them before Haskins? Oh yeah. You're not you're not with Haskins? Anymore. Well, I'm not with Haskins either, but it's Ron Rivera, so we must know what he's talking about. So, I mean, Haskins, he's not terrible, but he's just to me, he's too he's too much like a college quarterback. If that makes sense. Terry McLaurin's on a college wide receiver still. No. No. He still plays like he's a college wide receiver, and he's getting all the targets. From Haskins. Well, yeah, I know. I'm just saying. He's, he looks very. Like, he, oh yeah. Haskins just looks like he has no idea what he's doing in the pocket. And, you know, part of that is probably because he's not experienced yet. I mean, he's still very young, obviously. He was a rookie. Um, and he hardly played at all in college right so you know i get that but it's like if you're gonna throw him right into the pros and say okay figure out how to be a quarterback now with you know a crappy team i mean i think they're just setting him up for failure to be honest here's the thing with haskins i think rivera is going to make him a better quarterback but i think last year wrecked him a ton. I think last year wrecked his confidence a ton because Jay Gruden at some point last year was just like, frick it. You know, like, frick it. We're just going to put him in here when he clearly needed the year off. And let's be honest, he didn't necessarily play bad week 10 to week 17. He started to figure some things out, not everything. He wasn't, he wasn't terrible. I mean, you know, he was fine. But he just needed more time, it felt like. Yeah. And that's why I feel like Haskins has a bad – like it feels like it's a bad taste in my mouth right now. I got to see how the first month goes with him and Rivera, and then I think we'll talk about it more. Because at this point, I don't know what to make of it. Yeah. Um, moving on to an interesting story from the tight end position – 
Zach Ertz and the Eagles are working on an extension. Now, the extension has gone to a halt at this point. I don't really understand why they're trying to work on an extension with him. Now, I get it. He's, you know, Philly. He, I'm sure he loves Philly and all that stuff. But Dallas Goddard is getting half share of his targets. You know, I, I don't like these teams that are like, oh, we need a bunch of tight ends for no reason. Baltimore, Philly. I don't understand this. I don't see why it makes sense to pay Zachary. It's a four-year deal, especially now that he's 30 years old. You have a young guy in Dallas Goddard there. I don't understand it at all. Yeah, it's a bit... It's it's interesting. Um, you know, I mean, the, the tight end position is is at an interesting place now as the game evolves into more of a passing game because you know there are so many teams that have you know that play with these two tight end sets or sometimes even have three good tight ends um you know look at like tampa for instance but when you have i mean zackers as of right now is in my opinion he's like the top three tight ends behind Kelsey and uh, and um, Kittle. Yes, thank you. <clears throat> I don't know why I forgot his name. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know when you have, like you said, Dallas Goddard, who is a good young player, who within the next four years could very easily overtake Ertz and become better than him because I mean you know. Tight end is a tough position. You don't know how long they're going to last. You know, it just seems kind of, um, like you said, it just it doesn't seem very wise to commit that much time and money to this guy who is, I mean, let's face it, he's probably out of his prime by now. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Uh, Brandon, I'll start with you with Le'Veon Bell since he is your fantasy guy this year. Um. Le'Veon and Adam Gaze have seemed to patch things up at this point. Do you feel like they have? Do you feel like this report is accurate? Do you feel like they actually like each other? Do you think that Bell is going to be a better player this year? Not only in the Um, running game, but the passing game? I think that Le'Veon Bell and Adam Gase talked and I think that Le'Veon Bell told Adam Gase keep me on the field and we'll be good. Hmm. And they quote unquote patch things up for the media. I don't think Le'Veon Bell likes anyone. I think Le'Veon Bell is in business for Le'Veon Bell. And you know what? Good for him. Because it's football. And if you're not in business for yourself, what are you doing? He wants to get his touches. You're there. I mean, it's a team sport, but it's also an individual sport. You are playing for yourself. I mean, at the end of the day, if you think about it, if you're a running back and you're a star running back, you're like... 
I want my touches. I want to be the star. You brought me in here for a reason. Mm. Like, you went out and you got all these linemen to protect, yes, to protect the quarterback, but also to give me some damn room to run. Like, let me show you what I can do. Um, I, I think there was an interesting quote, though, that he said where he basically said he, he said he wants he said he literally said, "I just want to stay on the field. I don't care if I get the ball. I don't care if I catch it. I don't care if I block. Just keep me on the field." So, I'll have both of you comment on this because I'm still very confused. Josh Gordon is with the Seahawks. Yay! Why did we sign him? Why uh, did the Seahawks? Sign? No, no. Here's why I'll I asked this first. question. Here's why. Here's why I asked this question. Okay. You have Tyler Lockett. You have DK. Yes. You even have Greg Olson. Correct. You have Philip Dorsett, who I know has had some injury concerns He's over the hurt. last week. You don't need him. You don't need Josh you Gordon. Do. Dude, you do. You don't need him on you this do. team. Three receivers you... in, the, in the NFL nowadays. Yeah, you need three dominant guys. Philip Dorsett is a better player right now than Philip Josh Dorsett Gordon. Philip Dorsett is not playing, and he might. And there's a reason, dude. There's a reason they picked this. They brought him back. You know why they brought him back? Because they don't trust that, that Dorsett is going to play. His injury must be worse than they're letting on, because they wouldn't bring someone back for no fucking reason. Well, they said for five months, literally all off season, they were going to bring him back, and I was like, Josh I'm Gordon? okay with it. Yeah, but I'm down with it because Josh Gordon. Here, I've I've already defended Josh Gordon before on the show, right? Like, and I'll say what I said before: the man had more catches than games that he played with the Seahawks, and like he was a big play guy. He was a a, a threat. You put him on the field with Tyler Rocket and DK Metcalf. And you gotta pick one that he's that Russell's gonna throw the ball to, and that's not a roulette I want to play if I'm a defender. Here's the thing, I. Here's the thing, I I'm I was okay a few months ago with Josh Gordon, but the more I thought about it, the more I was like, Dorsett's a better player. There's he's no hurt. reason to have him. He's hurt, but he should be fine for week one, maybe even week two. No, he's Dorsett's not. a better player. It's obvious he's not going to be – it's so obvious he's not going to be ready for week one. Why would they bring back fucking Paul – Paul Richardson. Paul That's another thing that I okay. Richardson if they thought that – It's an okay receiver. Dude, Don't. he's trash. He's okay. Dude, he's bad. He was really if good gonna, in If you're going to – no, he was not. He was really if good in Washington. You, no, he was not. If you're going to argue – if you're going to argue that it's dumb that they brought back – Josh Gordon. I'm not gonna. I'm not, I'm not saying that Paul say Richardson doesn't make any that Paul Richardson was brought back. I didn't get that Paul Richardson. Was I'm back a little either. bit pissed off that they brought Paul Richardson back, but they wouldn't resign fucking uh, Justin Britt. Yeah. Shane, what are your feeling feelings on this? I think this might be. Well, okay. A couple things. Does this mean that they're not getting Antonio Brown? Yes. Uh, yes. Yay. 100%. Yes, it does. <laughs> Second thing. Does this mean that, you know, the, the whispers that they might be doing a more pass-heavy offense this year? 
No. The case? No. They're not letting they're not letting Russell cook. Schonheimer, they're not doing that. Absolutely not. That's not happening. How do you know this? You talk so you talk like you have an inside source. That's not happening. Schonheimer and Pete Carroll have been Mm -hmm. very confident in saying, like, Mm -hmm. we get where you guys are coming from. We understand, but we're not letting it happen. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. See, but that's it's not just happening. Schottenheimer being Pete's puppet. Schottenheimer should be like, damn it, let me be better at my job. Do, do you guys feel this really consistently about Russell where it's like, if he let, if you, if you just let him throw and let Carson, you know, cut his carries by a little bit, can they win games by 20 instead of having yeah. fourth quarter? I actually think our, I can actually make the argument that if you cut Carson's carries, surprise, surprise, I think we'd see Carson actually survive a whole season. That's also yeah. true. I mean, you, you, I mean, you basically cut him back to a goal line back, and then he ends up as a fucking, he ends up as a freaking MVP. Like, he wouldn't I mean, be a goal line guy. He he just I mean, would not get a goal less goal line guy. But like you, I mean, you think about the fact that if you cut his, you cut his carries. To be a guy who runs less, you, and then you can use him as a, as a guy who, like, I mean, you put him at the goal line, he's going to score at, pretty much every time. And like, you could use him as a passing back. Not that they yeah. would need that necessarily, but, yeah. But I don't he's know what they're going to do. 30, 35 carries a game? Yeah. Like, no wonder the guy gets hurt every day. They game. just pound the rock. Yeah. Especially with considering how physical he plays, you know? Yeah. I'm just oh, – honestly, I'm just overseeing them, like, on a third down, just pounding the rock three times on, on like a first down, pound the rock three times, and then kick the field goal. Like no, like just threat, let Russell cook. Like he will get the damn touchdown. Do you think this is a problem for the Seahawks? Do you think, from an offensive perspective, if 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 it doesn't happen and they're just they're just gonna run the ball, do you think it hurts them as we get to the playoffs? I mean, at some point, I would hope that Russell would like stand up and be like hey let me throw the ball i'm your i'm your franchise quarterback let me do it uh, all right shane i'll start with you here for the last of the receivers muhammad sanu this is one of the worst patriot patriots moves i've i've seen from Belichick. now he's made a lot of questionable moves this is one of the worst you paid a second round pick for muhammad sanu and you cut him a year later what? It's not like they have great receivers anyway. No. No. Yeah. I mean, this is like the final nail in the coffin, you know. I mean, what do they expect to? Edelman's what, 30, 34. We don't even know if McKeel Harry is fully developed yet. That's another thing as well. Like, do you really expect an Edelman past his prime? be able to carry the whole passing offense, especially when you have a quarterback who is as inconsistent as Cam, who at best completes 58% of his throws. Because I sure as hell don't think so. But (laughs) I don't think that that will work at all. Um, But, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they really must not 
have any faith in Sanu going forward if they, like you said, if they, you know, pay all this money for him and whatnot, and then say, oh, no. How many times has Belichick done this? How many times? Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe, and this? How many times has he given up a first or second round pick okay, well, for that, a guy? Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. How many times has he given up a quality player or a first or second round pick? I mean, Chandler Jones maybe as well, but like, yeah, it's he doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I don't think Sanu is quite on like the level of like, a no, type player. But. No, but they but they loved him. That's my problem. Yeah, they loved him for the offense, and it just hasn't worked. Another weird situation, another weird contract situation with Alvin Kamara. Um, it seems to be going well. Brandon, Brandon, with uh, with this whole Alvin Kamara situation, does it show the maturity of the Saints organization how they're actually treating this? How it doesn't seem to be as big of a deal as it might actually be. That I con- mean, didn't they just say that they were gonna trade him? They like they literally said yesterday that they were like gonna trade him. How is that mature? Well, I mean that report just in general. I didn't really believe that report as much because I feel like it was interesting. I feel like it was interesting that if well maybe it was maybe that's what they felt twelve hours ago, and then they slept on it and they said no, we need him here. I mean, just by, I mean, I don't find it mature that a team would like blurt it out and then be like, oh, we never mind. Uh, Shane, what do you feel about how the Saints organization has treated this situation? Mm, Weird to say the least. I mean, you know, it it, it seems weird to go out and, you know, like Brandon said, to go out and say that, but then. You know, here they're saying, "No, no, we're we're not far apart. We're, uh, you know, it's it's he's gonna start week one. It's great, you know. Um, it's just kind of like, okay, well, what's really happening? <laughs> you know, here's uh, here's why I say the maturity thing. Okay, yeah. It's it's the fact that yes, they were thinking about trading him or whatever, but this stuff doesn't, you know, happen in a week period, and just somehow go away. Right? If this is Jacksonville, this is a month, three months, five months. New Orleans, it's like a week. Where they go one way, then they go the other, and they realize, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, a little bit. Because that's sort of how I felt about it. It was still strange. But, yeah. Uh. And then last but not least is um, the L.A. Chargers. Tyrod Taylor yeah. are pretty much all the games this year, it seems like, according to the Athletics' Daniel Popper. I don't know if that's the case. But Taylor in this offense, like, is Herbert not ready? Brandon, is, is Herbert not ready in your mind? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if it's – if it's him being not ready or I think it's more, I think it's more that 
the coach just wants to go with the more experienced guy. Um, I, I personally, I don't think he's going to succeed. I don't think Herbert is going to succeed in the NFL, but Pac-12 quarterback stuff. It just there's something about the Pac-12 that just doesn't really prepare. Um, but Hard Knocks doesn't say everything, but he has looked pretty good in drills and Hard Knocks. But again, it's Hard Knocks. Yeah. What can you make out of that, Shane? What are your thoughts on the quarterback situation uh, in Charger Land? Yeah, I mean, I think I mean it's tough with you know without preseason because we don't you know we don't have the best idea. Um, but you know, I th- I would say that Taylor's the right call for now um, because you know he is a veteran. He does have playoff experience, uh, which seems crazy, but it's true. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, you know, he's he, he's definitely a good bridge guy. I think um, just with you know how he's been able to adapt with a lot of different teams and um, I, mean, I think I think physically Herbert is good uh, really good I mean he's you know he's got the size the arm everything but I think it's just you know when you have a guy coming from a Pac-12 system which is a very you know prototypical college type of offense it's not like Rand said; it doesn't really set up, you know, quarterbacks well for the NFL because it's, um, you know, it's not pro style at all. And so, I think, you know, mentally, he's kind of like, okay, well, you know, what do I, what do I do here? You know, how is this going to work? Um, which, you know, it, I mean, it would be tough for anybody, uh, you know, because. And the NFL is a much different ballgame than college, no matter where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if history tells us anything, uh, Herbert won't be good <laughs> just because, I mean, no quarterbacks from the back 12 ever turn out good in the NFL, at least not that I can think of. And uh, Walker was decent. Yeah, for for the few years, I'm pretty sad he. Re- I'm really sad he retired, but yeah. Yeah, but anyways. And then uh, lastly, Derwin James. Um, this is a sad one for me. I hate when guys get injured, but I hate when top flight guys, especially younger players, who have clearly proven that they're top five in their position. Yeah continuously get injured in the preseason. You may be going down a path where you where you have those guys who are looking like they're going to be amazing and then they just can't shake the, the, the injury bug. bug. It's painful to me, especially yeah. for a guy like Derwin, because I, let, let's be completely honest. Last year, Chargers defense, without Derwin James on the field, was terrible. Yeah. He literally runs that defense. He literally, in his rookie year, made that defense what it was. 
Yeah, which means they're going to be really bad this year because they're not going to have him at all. Yeah. And it's so. just, man, I, I, it, it's so frustrating to see this kind of stuff. It's just not a good time in Charger land. No. Shane, what are your thoughts on the German James injury? Yeah, I mean, you know, pretty much the same with you guys. It's, you know, it, it, it really doesn't, you know, hit you until you read that, you know, by the time 20, uh, 21 rolls around, he will have missed 27 of the past 32 games, which that's like, you know, for a young player like him, dang, that's especially someone as good as him. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's tough. Yeah. Really tough. But, I, you know, yeah, it's, what are you going to do? <laughs> it's one of the weirdest things about the NFL. There's some of these young guys who either come in their rookie year, maybe even don't even get a shot. There's guys, you know, you guys remember Kevin White, right? I mean, he, he his career has been bombarded by injury. It, it's crazy to see some of these guys who get top flight, coming out of the draft. And we see this, it feels like almost in every draft or every few drafts where there's a guy who's top flight and maybe he plays a season. Maybe he plays a game or two. Or maybe he doesn't even play at all because of injury. RG3. RG3 as another. It's, it's crazy to see. It's so weird. And it's one of these things in the NFL that's just a reality. But it's a hard one especially when you follow these guys in college and you follow them in the draft process and you know how good they can actually be. You've seen it with your own eyes and they just never find a way to get that injury bug off. Yeah. And on that unfortunate note. <laughs> well, let's end it a bit more optimistically. Hopefully after the 2021, you know, once that rolls around, he'll be in good shape and he'll, kill it from there on right and i think that's what we're all hoping for for sure yeah um all right have a great and he'll find his way to the seahawks and then he'll be amazing (laughs) (laughs) i think the chargers would keep him long term but i don't know um you know if he has the i mean if he has a full year to rest maybe that'll be good for him you know maybe that's what he needs yeah it'd be two full years pretty much at this point yeah yeah On that note, have a wonderful Labor Day weekend, you guys, and same with all of you. Listening, whatever you're doing on this Labor Day, hope it's safe, happy, and healthy uh, with you and your family. Um, And we will see you next week. Uh, We'll be live on – well, we'll have a post show on Thursday uh, to open the season uh, with Chiefs-Texans. So be on the lookout for that as football season is just around the corner. We're a few days away. It feels like it's been such a long time with everything that's gone on. So it's exciting to have football back, even though it's in one of the most weirdest times ever, but it should be a lot of fun. That's all right. (laughs) All right. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Don't get COVID. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, just stay safe, and and that's the most important (laughs) thing, right? All right. Have a great weekend, everybody.